Question I'm going to ask is simply this. Why flesh and blood? Why flesh and blood? Of all of the ways and all of the things that God could have done, why flesh and blood? Why did he have to come and take on the form of a man in flesh and blood? I want to start by reading a scripture in Matthew chapter 1. It's kind of the part of the Christmas story. And as I read this, I just encourage you to, to listen carefully in spite of the familiarity that you might have with this section of Scripture. It says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus or to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Let's pray. Father, I just pray as we look into your word this morning, God, you give us greater understanding, greater revelation by your Holy Spirit of the depths of your plan of salvation. God, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll return to that scripture in a little while. But first, I'd like you to, again, use your imagination. And if it helps you to imagine, close your eyes, you sure can. But I would like to have you imagine being bound in chains. Bound in chains in such a way that you no way could get loose, no way you could get free. As a matter of fact, you can barely move. And you're not only bound in chains, you're in a place of utter darkness, complete darkness. There is no light. Darkness. That's all there is. And not only is it dark and are you bound in chains, you're in a deep pit, a deep hole. There is no way out, even if you didn't have chains binding you. And you wouldn't even be able to see how to get out of there because of the darkness. But the pit that you're in. In other words, you're totally helpless. Totally hopeless. There is nothing that you could do that could change your situation. Absolutely nothing. The darkness torments your mind, your imagination. The chains that bind you limit your movement. They, they cause physical pain as well as the emotional pain by the darkness. And this deep hole that you're in is nothing but, does nothing but add to the mental torment that you're experiencing. And there is no way out of that pit. Nothing. Hopelessness. Despair. And if you can imagine that, and imagine that's where you're at, That's a great picture of where you and I were when we were trapped in our sin. Trapped in the bondage of sin. We were under the power of sin. We we could no way get free of the sin that would condemn us. That's who we were. Hopeless. The situation was totally hopeless. All of the consequences of living in that type of sin and that type of bondage were there for all of us to experience. Not even death would bring relief. 
Matter of fact, death makes it worse for the unsaved person. That's the situation man was in. Man was absolutely helpless. But God had a plan. God's always got a plan. And it's always a good plan. It's not always a plan we understand. It's not always a plan we even like. But it's ultimately good. Because it will bring about good in God's children all the time. We go through and experience troubles, trials, testings that we can't hardly imagine. And at the time we're going through them, we wonder if we can even endure. But as a child of God, He has a promise in His Word that He says, I will work all things for good for those who believe, for my children. All things. And we have a hard time wrapping our mind around some of the things people have to go through. Some of the things we go through. And we look at that. And I don't know how an unbeliever makes it through, quite frankly. I don't know how they do it. But as a believer, we have a certain hope and a certain promise that will work all things for good. And if you have a hard time believing that, just think, was Jesus being arrested a good thing? Was Jesus being arrested and then beaten with a whip till his flesh was tore off of his bones? Was that a good thing? Was it a good thing when Jesus was taken to that cross and nailed through his wrists and his feet to a piece of wood and hung up there to be mocked and ridiculed a good thing? The answer is yes. In spite of what it looked like, in spite of what Jesus had to go through, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to humankind. So when we look at these situations in the natural that look hopeless, whether it's friends or family or relatives or even us, when we look at those situations, you know, we need to make sure that they know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and then we need to share the hope that we have in Christ, that it will all work for good. And He will take us through those dark places, those dark places that we experience. He had a plan, and, and an eternal plan. And in this plan, it required what we call the incarnation. Without this occurring, there could be no salvation. Incarnation. What does it mean? Well, definition, it means to be made or to become, and in this case, flesh. In other words, to be made or to become flesh. What was to be made or what was to become flesh? God. Jesus, God the Son. Jesus, the incarnate Word of God, became flesh, part of God's plan. We're going to look pretty briefly here this morning at kind of three quick points. Primarily, I want to lead you to some scriptures under each point. So you may not be able to write all that down, but just jot down the scriptures even as you see them on the screen and, and go home and reflect on them. But first, we're going to look at the necessity of the incarnation. Why was it necessary? Then we're going to take a brief look at Jesus prior to the incarnation. You know, God the Son didn't just come into being that night in Bethlehem. And then lastly, we'll look again at his entry in the world, and we'll go back to Matthew chapter 1. The necessity of the incarnation. Why was that necessary? Why flesh and blood? Well, God had made clear in his word, very, very clear in his word, the issue of sin and the consequences of sin. Scriptures that most of us might be familiar with in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is the problem. We've all sinned. All mankind, all humanity are sinners. 
And then in Romans 6.23, he says, as a consequence of that, the wages, the penalty, the price of sin is death. Death. The shedding of blood. In the Scriptures we see over and over, it's synonymous with death. The shedding of blood. Death. So he's saying there's a problem with humanity. We're sinners, and the wages of sin is death. And death represented by the shedding of blood. And a couple of Scriptures in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. It says this, And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The first part of that verse, it says it can almost say that almost all things in the old ceremonial law, there are a few things that could be cleansed with water and some other stuff. But when it came to sin, nothing worked except the shedding of blood. Something had to die for sins to be dealt with. And in Hebrews 10 we see even though the Old Testament is filled with types and shadows of what was to come, they never ever really took care of and forgave sin. Just think all those hundreds of thousands, millions of animals that they killed, and all the blood that they threw on the altar, all of that that took place never forgave a single sin. All it did was temporarily cover that sin so that God's judgment would not come. That's all. So the types and shadows of a Christ that was coming, a sacrifice that one day would deal with that, only gave us a glimpse, a shadow of the reality of Christ. In Hebrews 10, it makes it so clear. For it is impossible for the blood of goats, bulls, to take away sin. Therefore, when He, meaning Jesus, comes into the world, He says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not taken pleasure. And then He said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of Me to do Your will, O God. So even though in the Old Testament we see those types and shadows and pictures of a a sacrifice that one day would take care of sin for all time, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know what? God got, got no pleasure out of any of that. None. And goats and bulls and sheep and doves and anything else they killed never forgave sin. It just delayed the issue. And in Hebrews 9, verse 26, a comparison here in context is being made to the high priest who went once a year into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle blood and to to sacrifice these animals for sin of the nation. It says this in verse 26, Otherwise, Jesus, He, would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world if He was like that Old Testament high priest. But he's not like that Old Testament high priest. It says, but now once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In 1 John 1.7 it says, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Why was it necessary for God to come in the form of a man Come in the form of flesh and blood 
to earth. Because there was no sinless sacrifice on the earth. When Adam and Eve fell, the whole earth was put under the curse. The whole earth. All of creation. And God in His eternal glory couldn't die. God in His eternal glory couldn't die. God the Father couldn't die. God the Son couldn't die. God the Holy Spirit couldn't die in His eternal glory. He had to come in the form of a man, flesh and blood, that He could be the sacrifice to be nailed to a cross and to die for our sins. That's why it was necessary. He became flesh and blood. The eternal glory, the eternal God, it's impossible for Him to die. But he left heaven and took on flesh and blood. In Philippians 2, verse 5, it says this as as Paul is encouraging the Philippian church to humble themselves. He uses the picture of Jesus as the challenge. Boy, what a challenge for all of us to walk in humility and brokenness. He says this, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself to obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. God the Son, Jesus, couldn't die in His eternal glory. He had to take on flesh and blood. So that's the necessity. We are sinners. The world was under the power of sin. And all that Old Testament type and shadow did was delay it and point towards one who would come, who would deal with it once and for all. Jesus Himself. God Himself. Sacrifice for our sin. What was Jesus doing? What what do we know about Jesus prior to his incarnation? You know, because sometimes I think a lot of people they just they just think that Jesus, the Son of God, only came into existence when Mary gave birth to a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. The Son of God had existed eternally with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. When he was born in that manger, that's when he took on the form of flesh and blood. We know this by a number of the writings, <clears throat> excuse me, a number of the writings in the scriptures. In first John or in John 1, it says this In the beginning was the word. In the beginning. When was that? In the beginning. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now just to clarify, the Word, who is the Word? It tells us in verse 14 of chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word. He is the incarnate Word of God. The Word that was God, that was with God in the beginning and always has been, was Jesus. 
The one that spoke and all things became was Jesus. Nothing was made without Him making it. It says, we saw His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. Jesus. And Jesus Himself made clear in His own teachings. Many times. In John chapter 3.13, He said it this way, No one has ever ascended into heaven, but He who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, speaking of Himself. In John 16, He says, I came forth from the Father, and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going back to the Father. And chapter 17, verse 5, he says, Now, Father, glorify glorify Me together with Yourself with the glory which I had with You before the world was. We get so used to the Christmas story, I think we lose the significance of the Incarnation. There has never been a greater act or exhibition of love than the incarnation. God motivated by love. God the Father. God the Son motivated by love. It says, Lord, that glory that I had before. Before what? Before I came as a baby. Can you imagine? I, we can't. But if you could, what it would have been like to have been with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit for all eternity in heaven. For all eternity. And then have to put on flesh and blood. Be trapped. Laying aside many of His privileges as the Son of God. Knowing full well that His purpose for coming was to die. For His blood to be shed. Because it was the only way. It was the only way in God's plan of salvation which had been established before the foundations of the world. You know, things like that, it's kind of fun to meditate on. It's in a way pointless, but can you imagine God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in heaven before they've even created anything knowing the final outcome? what it was going to look like, what was going to happen. And God the Son knowing that He's going to come and take on the form of a human being and suffer and die for us. Jesus, prior to the Incarnation, was with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. And let's go back to the Incarnation or His entry into the world back in Matthew chapter 1. In verse 18, it said, with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, this virgin birth thing is a big deal. There are lots of people out there who try to define the word virgin as young woman and all this other stuff. Trying to to chip away at the foundation of the reality. Was it really a virgin? Was it really this immaculate conception? And then some of them even try to say, well, it doesn't really matter anyway. It changes everything. If he is not the Son of God, if she was not the virgin, all the prophecy, all that stuff's out the window. And the Word of God becomes worthless. With child by the Holy Spirit. God the Son, in His Spirit form, 
It's deposited in a body created by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a woman, Mary. Supernaturally. In verse 20, he reiterates, reiterates that same point and he says, it is of the Holy Spirit. It is of the Holy Spirit. It's God in the flesh. And verse 21, he goes on and he gives this amazing statement and it says, he will save his people from their sin. Wow, talk about a concept that Joseph would have never really understood the fullness of. What is he going to be? Is he going to be the high priest one day when he grows up and go in and kill an animal and sprinkle some blood in the temple? No, that was just a type and a shadow of what was to come. God in the flesh, sinless. And in verse 23, he drives home the most significant point of the whole thing. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. God came and took on the form of a man and actually walked the earth with us. God had a plan. He had a plan to free us from the power of sin. He had a plan to release us from the bondages that we were in because of sin, that prison that we were trapped in, and freed us from that power of sin. We don't have to sin anymore. We do, but we don't have to. The power has been broken. The Holy Spirit lives and dwells in His children. And as we listen and obey the Holy Spirit, we don't sin. But we've still got that old nature, that old mind that needs to be renewed, all those old habits that we continually resort to. But we have the blood of Christ that's already dealt with that sin. When we repent, He is quick to forgive us. God's plan required a holy, sinless sacrifice. Not to just cover sin, not to just push it off to the side for a while, but to forgive it forever. He came in Himself, as it said. He sacrificed Himself. He came Himself in the form of Jesus, His only begotten Son. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. All the other trimmings are nice. But they're insignificant compared to that truth. God in the flesh came. He became what the scripture refers to as the sinless Lamb of God. Connecting to the types and pictures, the shadows that we see in the Old Testament. He came as the sinless Lamb of God. To be sacrificed one time. For all time. For all people. Never, never, ever needing to be another sacrifice. There is no other sacrifice. That's why when the Word of God says that there is no way to the Father except through the Son, Jesus. You know, that's where we get accused of being an intolerant religion. Aren't there a lot of different ways that we can all get to that same God? The answer is no. There's not. There's one way to have a relationship with the God of the Bible, and that's through His Son, Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord. I want to close with a scripture in 1 Peter chapter 1. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, 
for he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what we celebrate this time of year. We should be celebrating it year-round, but the whole world kind of focuses now. It gives us an opportunity to describe and share with people the ultimate act of love. The ultimate act of love. God, leaving the glory of heaven to take on human form that he might reveal God to us. Not only to reveal God to us, but then to die as the spotless Lamb of God and shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. Rescuing each one of us from that prison of sin. Bondage. To restore us into a relationship with God the Father. Now, I don't know, in our house, there aren't any, well, there may be presents under the trees now, but there's nothing wrapped. In a lot of your houses, you already have presents under the tree. And even if your name is on that present under the tree, until somebody gives you that present and you take it from them and receive it, it doesn't do you a bit of good. And that's the way it is with this gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. That gift came wrapped in the flesh and blood of Jesus. They wrapped the baby in swaddling clothes in a manger. But the gift of salvation is there and and God says in His Word that He died for every single human being ever born on this earth or ever will be. But not all are going to receive the gift. And our hope is that everybody here has received the gift. If you haven't received the gift, don't wait. There are some words in there that I just kind of went past today in the Scriptures about the consummation of the age. The times of the end. It started back there when Jesus was born and it's gone over 2,000 years. So I don't know how close it was to the consummation of the age, but that was the beginning. We're down the road a long ways. It could be any time. Receive the gift of salvation. How do you do it? It's not complicated. You acknowledge you're a sinner and that there needed to be a sacrifice. That you couldn't do a thing about it. That Jesus, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, died for my sins and received the gift of salvation and surrender your life to Him and allow Him to become Lord of your life. It will be the greatest decision you've ever made in your life. It's the greatest love gift there's ever been. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You loved us so much that Your plan of salvation formed before the foundations of the world came to pass in Jesus Christ. Lord God, that as we celebrate Christmas, help us to be mindful of the reality of what it is we're celebrating. Yes, it's friends and family and and love and, and the spirit of giving, but Lord, more than anything else, it's a celebration of you coming to earth to become our sacrifice for sin. Lord, I pray for anyone here that has not received Jesus and received that gift, that today would be their day to receive that gift. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.